0: The title of our sermon today is the challenge of Jesus empty tomb. But before we go there I'd like to post a question. How do you see yourself buried when you die? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, uh? it's a gross question. You know, when you're young you don't even want to think about it. But in the long run there will be no exemption. You know, all of us will go to that point in our lives. So the question is, how do you see yourself buried? This is one option, that you will be buried underground, three or six feet below the ground. The other option is you are buried above ground. And some of those buried above ground will even be in mausoleum. And the third is that you will be cremated. And you will end up in an urn like this. You know, this last uh, way to be buried was not popular 20 years ago. As a matter of fact, in the U.S., there were only 26% going through cremation in 2000. But if you will notice, in 2015, there are already 48%. And... uh, Uh, projection is by next year more Americans will be cremated than buried below ground but this is the latest style of burial do you know this can you imagine what this type of burial is all about this is called alkaline hydrolysis or liquid or water bio cremation Meaning, instead of going through the fire, the body will be submerged in very, very hot temperature. So, parang cremation then. <laughs> By the way, the bigger question, of course, that we can ask ourselves is, are we ready to die? One writer said, if you are not ready to die, then you are not ready to leave. Do you know where you will spend your eternity? You know, we are making plans three to five years. We are making plans for next week, next month. But have you made plans for eternity? If you do, what preparations are you making nowadays? So let's go now to our sermon. The characteristics of uh, jesus tomb from the gospels you know it's easy to read about the death and resurrection of jesus because you can find them in that last two chapters of all the gospels so here in matthew 27 you have you can imagine how jesus was laid in verse 60 he was laid in a new tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea and the tomb was hewn out in the rock and it required a large stone against the entrance of the tomb. In the Gospel of John, you will find out that near the tomb there was a garden and John described the tomb as really brand new. No one has been laid there yet. And then in John 20 verse 5 and following, when the two disciples ran to the tomb, John ahead of Peter, he stooped down and looked in and entered the tomb. So the tomb is something that you can go inside but it is not high, you have to bend down. And Peter saw the linen wrappings and then the face cloth which was on his head and the linen wrappings that are that were covering the body of Jesus so if I will put the account of the Gospels about the burial scenario of Jesus this is how it will look one, it was a new tomb number two, it was hewn out of a rock by the way, most tombs in the time of Jesus were in a cave number three the tomb was near the place of the crucifixion because when jesus was brought down from the cross he was buried just nearby and then near the crucifixion place near the tomb was a garden and then the tomb had a low entrance that you need to stoop down it has a large stone covering outside and you can find the burial clothes lying uh, on the rock and people and angels can even come inside. So with this description, we can evaluate the three uh, suggested tombs of Jesus. But before we go there, I'd just like to show to you how ancient tombs look like this is the tomb of anas the high priest this is a cave and you will find it's a huge rock and there are holes inside the hewn rock what are these holes the holes are called uh, cochim or loculi so the the body will be inserted in those holes and they will let the body stay there for a year and then after one year the flesh is already gone then they will transfer the bones into a box it's called a yushuari. and usually the box where the bones of the family are look, are put into are gathered together okay This is another way to bury a dead person the first one is you insert the dead person in a hole here is another one you just lay the body on top of the slab of limestone or marble and then the third one this is the most common by the way when you are traveling to Mount Carmel you will see this along the highway so this is more likely the picture of the tomb of Jesus there is a hole that is low and then there is a covering rock why is there a need for a covering rock so that the body will not be eaten by wild beasts. so this is a sample of a cave maybe one or two are buried there but there is also a family tomb this one is called the Herodian family tomb There is one found in Jerusalem and if you will look inside what you will see is like this there are many loculi where you will insert the body and then after some time you get the bones and put it in the ossuaries okay so different from our tombs nowadays because our tombs nowadays are single single tombs and there can only be many tombs if it is a mausoleum where you bury several members of the families uh, together so what are the possible locations of jesus tomb the first suggested one which is the least popular because it was only discovered in 1980 is called the talpiot tomb or the jesus family tomb. Why did people call this the tomb of Jesus family? Because when they found Osuaris, one of them contained the name Yeshua. By the way, that's the name of Jesus. So they said, this must be the family tomb of Jesus. Not necessarily because Yeshua is a common name during the time of Jesus the second uh, suggested location for the burial tomb of Jesus is the most popular it was built in 326 AD by the mother of Constantine Helena and it took about 9 years to build that place and uh, when the Romans took over Jerusalem they Burned down that place and they put on top of it a um, a temple for Venus. But later on, when the crusaders came and defeated uh, the Romans, uh, defeated those who defeated the Romans, they built again this uh, church. Now, where is the location of the tomb of Jesus? If you go inside, this is what you will see. So there is a huge circle and in the middle of a circle is a structure. And in front of it, you will enter and there is a slab of wood. And the Catholics claim that's where Jesus is buried. And then behind that, at the other end of that structure, is the Greek Orthodox claim. Of the burial place of Jesus so in one structure there are two suggestions the third which is becoming more popular among Protestants evangelicals and born-again Christians is called the garden tomb so you will see those two guys one of them is familiar to you (laughs) and uh, the young girl there is my eldest daughter Hannah. We were there three weeks ago. So why is this popular as the place where Jesus was buried? Well, because number one, if you go inside, this is what you will see. That's the diagram of the tomb. So there is a place where you know people can can look or sit down. It's called the antechamber, number six. And then number four is where You find the body, the loculus, the number four, both on top and below. And then it has a low entrance, and it has a garden, it has a water system. And, uh, you know, there are places where people can worship. And look, they see to it that people will come very orderly. Because in the other site, in the Roman Catholic site, it was free for all. So there is no sense of um, sacredness. It's just people all around. And a stone's throw away from the garden tomb is a place called the skull. And at least you can see the two eyes, the nose, by the way, Uh, Three weeks ago, the nose is no longer there. (laughs) It uh, It is gone already. So people are saying that Jesus was crucified on top of that structure. And then after he was crucified, he was brought down to the garden tomb. So where is the place, Pastor? Whatever or wherever the tomb is, is secondary. The most important thing is that Jesus was not in the tomb. He is risen. In Luke chapter 24 verse 1, we read, On the first day of the week, and that is a uh, Sunday, because the seventh day is a uh, Sabbath, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing spices which they prepared. But then angels said to them, Why do you seek the living one? among the dead. He is not here, he has risen. So while it is important to know where the tomb is located, what is even more important is the fact that that tomb was empty. So I'd like to share to all of us what Paul has to say about the empty tomb in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do you know that many people don't believe Jesus Christ resurrected? A group of Gnostics during the time of Paul believed that it was not Jesus who was crucified. They said it was Simon of Cyrene. Remember when Jesus was carrying the cross and maybe he could not carry it anymore to uh, Golgotha, the Roman soldier uh, pressured a bystander named Simon from Cyrene, and he took the cross to Golgotha. So they were saying it was Simon who was, he was crucified, not Jesus. Of course, we don't believe that. Second, some people were teaching during the time of Paul that uh, because Jesus had no sleep the whole day, the whole night, he was being tried. He was being moved from one place to the other. He was being flagellated. And then the next day, he had to walk through Via Dolorosa and it's too hot. And then he was uh, tortured by the Romans. So when he was crucified on the cross, he expired. He expired. So when he was brought inside the cold tomb, the cave, he was rejuvenated. So he left the cave. And went somewhere else. And after some time got married with Mary Magdalene. By the way, that comes from the Gnostic Gospels. Okay? But here we will find that Paul emphasized that Jesus indeed resurrected. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So what did Paul receive? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Again, according to scriptures. And then I underlined uh, statements. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. So he was not a phantom. It was not a myth. Paul was saying he appeared to Cephas, then he appeared to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. And Paul was saying most of whom are still alive until now. Meaning you can ask them. Paul was saying when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, it was between 65 to maybe 75 A.D. And Jesus was crucified sometime 33 A.D., So about 30 to 40 years. So some people are still alive. And then in verse 7, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles gathered. And then he said, last of all, to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And then in the gospel of um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you will find other appearances. So there were many human witnesses or accounts that Jesus resurrected. Now, I would like to share to you problems if Jesus did not resurrect, according to Paul. The first one is, if Jesus did not resurrect, then the preaching and Christian faith are in vain. We will still be in our Sins, according to Paul. Look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Walang cuenta. You are still in your sins. Number two problem. If Jesus did not resurrect, then all the preachers, all the pastors, all the apostles are false witnesses. This was the first fake news in Christianity. If Jesus Christ did not resurrect. The third is more serious. If Jesus did not resurrect, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, meaning Christians who died before, have perished. They are not in heaven, they are not in paradise. They are just gone. They are extinguished. And if that is the case, we who hope in Christ and are still alive today, we are of all men most to be pitied. Why is that? Because for those who do not believe in Jesus, they are having their good time. They can do what they like. They can kill as many people they like. They can marry as many people they like. They can do anything they like. And it's okay because there is no resurrection. There is no heaven or hell. But Christians believe there is heaven and hell. Believe there is resurrection of Jesus. So there are some things you could not do because it is not in line with the teachings of Christianity. So if Christianity is claim that Jesus resurrected is not true then we are to be most pitied we believe in a lie and our hope for the future is a lie what if the resurrection is true Paul also gave gave three prospects number one if the resurrection is true if Jesus resurrected from the dead then I too, you too, will be resurrected from the dead. In verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So if Jesus was raised from the dead, then when you die, you did not just die, you just fall asleep. And one day you will awake. And Jesus is the first fruit you know when you will buy a car especially if it's second hand and you, you like a model of a car and you say how much is this and the seller said uh, 1 million and, and you said, I'll just buy it for uh, 800,000 and then the owner says okay you can buy it actually most buyers of second hand cars do not carry money they only carry what earnest money so you only need to pay them either five thousand or ten thousand they will issue you a receipt by the way even if it's only five thousand or ten thousand that guy cannot sell the car anymore if somebody comes and is buying that car for nine hundred thousand the owner cannot sell it why because you have already paid an earnest money a deposit a guarantee jesus is our guarantee that we too will resurrect john 11:25 jesus said i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he dies yet he shall live again so that is our hope resurrection the hindus And the Buddhists, they believe in reincarnation. Some, they don't believe in anything, so they just believe extinction. When you die, then you're just dead. The other one, when you die, and if you are a bad person, then you will have a bad karma. So in the next life, you will be a cockroach. If you are a good person, in the next life, you will be a cattle, you will be a cow. But no, that's not our hope. Our hope is resurrection. <clears throat> we will be raised with the same body that Jesus Christ has. So we have a foretaste of forthcoming resurrection. Number two, <clears throat> where is Jesus now? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And in 1 Corinthians 15 24, Paul wrote, then comes the end. And what will happen in the end? Jesus will hand over the kingdom to the God and the Father. And he has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power. If you are disappointed about a ruler, if you are disappointed about a king, if you are disappointed about those who are in charge of our lives today, Don't worry, one day, they'll be gone. They'll be gone. Even if you are the president of the Philippines now, your term is only six years. And even if your daughter becomes the next president, her term will only be six years. And if he has another son who will become president, it will be another six years. You know, you will not last. Many people thought that Marcos will last for a lifetime. But no, he did not last because only one kingdom will last forever and that's the kingdom of God. And one day, there will be no authority, kingdom, or rule that will be left behind. Even the rule of Satan and his demons will be gone. There will only be one ruler and that is God. And you know what our last enemy will be? Our last enemy is actually death. But when Jesus Christ comes again, there will will be no more death. Death will be put, will be abolished. And Paul said, all things will be put in subjection to God who will be reigning forever and ever. And if Jesus will reign forever and ever, what will you be during that time. What will you be? Will you be servants? No. We will all be co-rulers of Jesus. Revelation 22 verse 4 and 5. So those of you who have ambition to become princes and kings, it will happen. It will happen. Be excited. The third prospect is we will have a glorious hope for the future and what is that glorious hope in 1542 paul wrote so is also the resurrection of the dead our bodies is sown as a perishable body it will be raised what an imperishable body whether you like it or not you'll get old no even if you go to Belo or Kalayan regularly, you still get old. You cannot stretch your face always, okay? But one day, we will have imperishable bodies. Our bodies are sown in dishonor. Our bodies have limitations. The word we use now is PWD, you know, person with disability or handicaps. But one day, when we are all raised up, we will be raised up in glory. No more handicap. Nick Bodichick will have two arms and two legs. So don't don't be seriously disappointed if there is something wrong with your nose or with your eyes. One day it will be glorious. Then it is sown in weakness. You get sick. You get tired. But our bodies will be raised in power. It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. The first man is from the earth, so he is earthly. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. I hope the Iglesia crystal will be Read verse 47. Because they don't believe that Jesus is uh, God. They believe he is only a man. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And this one I like. Now I say this, said Paul, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So this human body cannot inherit the kingdom of God you must be born again. Nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery, said Paul. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed. So if you are disappointed with your body in any way, don't worry, we will all be changed. How? In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. You know, in Tagalog, the twinkling of an eye is kisap. Mata. How fast is it? It's fast. It's fast. Pero pag magpaparito ka ng breast o ng bat, it's not fast. It takes time. It takes preparation. And sometimes, you have to, it has to be repaired. Okay? But, one day, Paul was saying, at an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised Wow, imperishable. We will all be changed. We will put on immortality, imperishability. And then it will be said, death is swallowed up in victory. Why? Because that glorious body will no longer die. That glorious body cannot be overtaken anymore by death. You know, when I was looking at my brother last uh, March 12. When he died, lying there helpless, 59-year-old, buti nalang yung kapatid ko, sabi ko, Lord, thank you that I will see my brother again, but not lifeless as this. I will see him immortal, imperishable, and he has conquered death already by that time. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are all fighting against death. That's why you don't want to cross the intersection, you know, anytime you like. Because if you do, death will defeat you. We are always fighting with death. When you're sick, you're fighting with death. And sometimes people lose, But one day, one day, death will be completely abolished. It will be completely defeated. The word will never be used again. Okay? Because people will be living for eternity. Let me share to you what John Calvin said about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ is the most important important article of our faith. Without it, the hope of eternal life is extinguished. And then he also said in institutes, we have in the death of Jesus the complete fulfillment of our salvation. For through it, we are reconciled to God. His righteous judgment is satisfied. The curse is removed and the penalty paid in full. But, or nevertheless, we are said to have been born anew to a living hope, not through his death, but through his resurrection. For as he, in rising again, came forth victor over death, so the victory of our faith lies in his resurrection alone. So when Jesus resurrected from the grave, you know, then Christian faith, is victorious and our hope is victorious and the kingdom of God has been victorious. If resurrection of Christ is true, how then should we live? Paul concluded 1 Corinthians 15 with a verse like this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, if all this is true, Paul wrote, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And then I use the message translation. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground. Don't quit. Don't vacillate. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master. Confident. That nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. Because sometimes we do get tired when we are serving God. Sometimes you feel your serving God is seemingly useless. Worst, sometimes you get hurt. And when you get hurt, when you get tired, the first thing you want to do is to quit serving. But Paul said, no always abound in the work of the lord the paraphrase throw yourselves into the work of the lord why your labor will never be a waste of time and effort because as jesus has resurrected he will return back and there will be a rewarding time for us if christ is alive in your life and mine there are three manifestations that will be seen in our lives okay and we will see if you have these three manifestations paul wrote them in first thessalonians 5 16 to (coughs) 18 let's just pass this the first one is rejoice always If you are a Christian, your default mode is rejoicing, not grumbling, not complaining. Why? Because your Lord, your Savior is alive. He sees what you are doing. And even if it is difficult, even if it is disappointing, somebody is smiling at you. Recognizing what you are doing. So Paul said, rejoice always. But pastor, what if I cannot honestly rejoice? I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm going through tough times. Look at the second word. So what do you do? Pray without, without ceasing. You know, if you are praying without ceasing, how can you complain? You don't have time to complain. You don't have time to grumble. So either you rejoice always, and if you cannot rejoice always, then you pray always. And because you are praying always, God will be moving. Look at the third statement: giving thanks in, in, in all circumstances. How many of you have watched the movie The Shack? The Shack. Nako konti lang. Di ko pwedeng ikwento, konti lang. You know, the character there lost his youngest daughter. He was, she was kidnapped and killed by a serial killer. And he was complaining to God, How can I give thanks? I want to kill him. You know. And the God in that story represented by, this is quite scandalous, In the (laughs) shock because God is represented the father is represented by a uh, you know black lady and Jesus is represented by an Indian guy and the Holy Spirit is represented by a Chinese girl (laughs) so it's really uh, you know shocking (laughs) the movie is already shocking and the character, characters are also shocking. And then the guy said, I want to kill him. How can I be thankful? I want to. You know? And then the whole story revolves in expanding, expanding understanding from the perspective of God. Because when we look at our own perspective like this, okay, we evaluate, from our end, what is good and bad. And God in that story said, what is your basis of what is good and bad? And usually our basis is our own perception. But God has a much bigger perception. And if we believe that Jesus rose from the grave, he was crucified unjustly, he died for our sins, but rose again from the dead. Then I have much reason to rejoice knowing that He understands what I'm going through, and what I'm going through is just temporary. Cori Tenbum said, There is no pit that is so deep that Christ's love is much deeper still. To paraphrase, you don't have a problem even if it's so big that God's power and grace is much bigger still. When we depend on our own perspective, limited perspective, it will be hard to rejoice. We will really complain. We will really grumble. But God has shown us already a perspective of history with what Jesus Christ has done for us. He defeated sin and death One day he will come and he will exercise final victory over them. And we will share in that victory. So even if I'm going through tough times today because of Jesus, I will overcome this. So I have reason to rejoice always. By the way, it's not only written in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It's also written in Philippians 4.4. And for you not to forget it, for you not to forget it, let me correct the wrong statement. People said that John 11:35 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. Yes, in English, Jesus wept. But in Greek, where the New Testament is written, the shortest verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. And what does it say? Rejoice always. Okay. In Greek, Jesus wept is two words. In, in Greek, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is one word. Rejoice always is one word. Okay? So God wants us to rejoice always. And if there is a time in your life you cannot rejoice, what's the alternative? Pray. Are you sick? Are you hurting? Pray. And as you are praying, you will feel it. After some time, Peace will enter your mind and heart and joy will fill up your life. So don't stop praying until you sense God's presence and God's joy. Why is rejoicing very important for a Christian? The Old Testament says, the joy of the Lord is is your strength. So if you are not rejoicing always, you will be a weak Christian so you rejoice because your faith is based on the resurrection of jesus then pray without ceasing until god reveals to you his will when my brother was diagnosed with third stage cancer in april 2016 we did not stop praying every day every day that god will continue to give him life and after two years and 11 months i am thankful to god you know why because god could have taken my brother in six months god could have taken my brother in a year but he gave us two years and 11 months to prepare to prepare ourselves and the last give thanks in all circumstances If you are married already, I hope you can give thanks for your spouse every day. (gasps) Pastor, every day when I woke up in the morning and I look at him, I look at her, I get disappointed. This is not the guy I married. (laughs) There is a guy attending our Bible study, and this guy is a musician in Japan, okay? And he has a wife in the Philippines and two extra wives, two extras, okay? And he has children to the two of them. And then while playing in Japan, uh, he's the lead singer, and he, he announced, you know, we will sing to you any song, That is in our songbook. And then one guy raised his hand and said, Can you sing Amazing Grace? And the guy said, What's that? (laughs) Amazing Grace. Is that in our songbook? So he looked at it. And it was the last song in his songbook. And there is a music there. So because he said he will sing any song as long as it is in the songbook, he sang that song for the first time. So when he was singing that song, in the middle, he began to weep. When the word says, I was once lost, and now I'm found, he was weeping. And you know what he did? After that singing, he prayed to Jesus, and then he went back to the Philippines. He went back, because he has been strange from his wife. He came back to the Philippines, went home, With his wife but the problem there is no love for his wife so he attended our Bible study and he said to the group you know I have a problem I received Jesus Christ but I have many problems (laughs) I have two other ladies who have children from me and I love them and I have a wife who is a Christian but I don't have a feeling for her. Sabi namin, that's really a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, say, we said, you know, why don't you pray? Why don't you ask God to help you settle the issue? Because we don't know how to settle your issue. So he came back to the Bible study after uh, a month. And he said, you know, I have a, I have a new problem. So what's the new problem? A Japanese guy is proposing to one of my girlfriends to, go, to marry her. And we said, you, you look at that as a problem? We see that as a solution to your previous problem. <laughs> and, and the guy said, but, but he may maltreat my girlfriend and my son. And then we said to him, are you not maltreating your girlfriend and your son? Can you imagine you are maintaining them? But you are not marrying that girl. But the Japanese guy is willing to marry her despite the fact that he she has a you know child from you. And he will adopt your son. So sabi niya, Okay, okay, okay. So he went. And then after another month or two, he came back. I have another problem. I said, what's your problem? Yeah, a French guy is proposing to my other girlfriend. And again, we said to her, a problem? But maybe that's God's solution. So, to cut the story short, the French guy also married a second girlfriend. And then, he said, okay, okay, maybe God really wanted me to stay with my wife. So he stayed for a while. Then after some time attending Bible study, he said, hey guys, I cannot be a hypocrite. Every morning, (laughs) when I wake up, (laughs) I really cannot be a hypocrite because I don't have a feeling. So we are imagining already what kind of wife he has. No? So one day the wife visited the Bible study where we are, you know, meeting and the wife is beautiful. Very meek. And we said, What? So sabi namin, baka naman ano siya, appearance blind. So one day, he, he decided to pack up. He decided to pack up. And then when he was getting out of the door, his son was playing with you know, a playmate and said, you know, I'm really happy because my dad has come home. And the dad was leaving. <laughs> so The dad had no heart to go through the door because the son is there and the playmate. So he came back and you know what his recourse was? To start praying every day for the love to return for the wife. And you know what happened? The last time he came to our Bible study, he said, hey guys, I already fell in love with my wife. And he got baptized and you know, So, if there is something you cannot give thanks to God, what will you believe? Your feelings or that verse in the Bible? Give thanks in, 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 not in many circumstances, in all circumstances. But pastor, I'm scared. I'm scared in all circumstances I will thank God. You know, there are two complementary verses that I would like to use to end this sermon. One is in the Old Testament. It's Deuteronomy 23, verse 5. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the Lord is not willing to agree with Balaam to curse you, but he turned the curse into blessing because he loves you. So even if there is a curse in your life, the Lord can turn it around to blessing. That's Old Testament. The New Testament is Romans 8, 28. What does it say? We know, we know that God causes, causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. If you have a love affair with Jesus, you can rejoice always. You can pray without ceasing. And you can give thanks to the Lord. Because even the most difficult circumstance in your life, even the feeling of dying, you can overcome. And even that itself, you will overcome. You know, many of us are scared to die. But you know, when Jesus is your shepherd, you can say like David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, because you are with me. And because our Lord has risen from the dead, He can be with you and me. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you that we can put together the teaching about Jesus rising from the dead and its implication from the teaching of Paul. Lord, I pray for those of us here whose default mode is sadness, whose default mode is worrying, whose default mode is, O oh Lord, complaining, Oh Lord, you said in your word, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. New things come. Lord, make this church a rejoicing church. Because we have reason to rejoice in Christ. Make us prayerful, oh God. That when we are challenged, when we have difficulties, when we have problems lord we will not give up because we have access to your heavenly throne and we just sang it earlier that you are the present help in trouble and lord make all of us people who are grateful people who will give thanks in everything so that when you come again lord jesus you will find us not only faithful but joyful, prayerful, and grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.